And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620, or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. Today, we got a lot to talk about. Last week, I talked to you about what was going on with some court decisions out of Texas, court decisions out of the state of Washington, um, and concerning mifepristone, the, the, the first pill in the two-pill regiment for chemical or medical abortion. And, and so what was happening has been happening since the, about 2019. There's been some states and attorney generals and, and folks seeking to get rid of uh, the abortion pill and, and seeking to, uh, I guess, require the FDA to go through the proper channels and, and testing and studying before they continue to make it super easy to get the abortion pill. Well, since we last spoke, uh, the Fifth Circuit had a ruling, and the Supreme Court has responded uh, in kind to that ruling. And so what I want to do today briefly, I, I'm not going to spend the whole show talking about this today, but I do want to give you an update of kind of where we are, what, what does that mean for our country, what does that mean for the states in our union and the court decisions moving forward. And, and the New York Times has a piece that kind of gives a, a good summary. I'll walk you through that and then I'll, I'll provide uh, you know, my comments and analysis as we go. But uh, Justice Samuel Alito issued an order on Friday temporarily ensuring that a common abortion pill, now notice they, they say common abortion pill, what they're trying to do, what these journalists and what these, uh, the media outlets and, and what the abortion industry wants you to believe is that mifepristone and these abortion pills are safer than Tylenol. They want you to believe that they're so safe, they're so common, they're so normal. There should be no reason that anyone would want to ban the use uh, and ban the mailing of these pills. They want you to think that it's just very, very common, that abortion has no lasting ramifications, that that abortion is just like passing a bowel movement, that that this is just ending a pregnancy, it's not ending a life. They're, they're wanting you to believe these things, so these are the words and phrases that they use. So, so the, the order by Justice Alito on Friday temporarily ensuring that a common abortion pill would remain widely available while the Supreme Court considered whether to grant the Biden administration's emergency request to preserve the Food and Drug Administration's approval of the drug. The order was meant to maintain the status quo while the justices studied the briefs and lower court rulings. And it did not forecast how the court would ultimately rule in the most important case about access to abortion since its conservative majority overturned Roe v. Wade last June. Again, they got to say that. They got to throw that that line in there. Conservative majority overturned Roe v. Wade in June. Justice Alito set a brisk schedule for the court's consideration of the case. His order and administrative stay instructed the groups challenging the FDA's approval of the abortion drug mifepristone to file their brief by Tuesday at noon. So that's they, they needed to file their brief today, Tuesday at noon. The stay itself is set to expire on Wednesday at midnight, Wednesday of this week, meaning the court is very likely to act before then and could in the coming days further curtail access to abortion, even in states where it's legal. Now, notice again, the author is saying they're seeking to curtail abortion. They're not saying, the author is not saying that these attorney generals and, and, and uh States are seeking to get rid of a drug that is damaging and harmful because the FDA accelerated the process and the approval. And as I spoke last week, the original plan, <clears throat> the original plan with with mifepristone 
was you could use it up to seven weeks. And then just out of nowhere, the FDA moved that to 10 weeks. The original plan with mifepristone is you could not get it in the mail. You had to see a doctor in person. All these things were steps you had to take in order to get this drug. And then during the pandemic, the FDA was like, you know what? You don't need to see a doctor. You just need to talk to him on the phone. And then we'll ship the pills to you. Now, did they have any studies showing that we needed to do that? No, of course not. They just wanted access to the abortion pill no matter what. For now, though, Justice Alito, the member of the court responsible for overseeing the appeals court, whose ruling is at issue, restored the state of affairs that existed before a ruling last week by a federal judge in Texas that would have suspended the agency's approval of the pill and severely disrupted the availability of mifepristone. The justice's order was prompted by an emergency application filed Friday by the Biden administration asking the justices to intervene. The administration's brief asked the court to pause parts of an appeals court ruling that it limited the availability of the pill, part of the most commonly used method for ending pregnancies in the United States. If allowed to take effect, the lower court's orders would upend the regulatory regime for mifepristone with sweeping consequences for the pharmaceutical industry, women who need access to the drug, and FDA's ability to implement its statutory authority. That's what the brief uh, by the Biden administration said. In a second emergency application filed by Danko Laboratories, which makes the branded version of mifepristone, the company's lawyer said the justices should defer to the FDA's scientific expertise in determining that the drug was safe and effective. Now, again, if you've seen anything over the last three years, you've seen that the trust of the FDA and some of these entities have, have been lost. Their credibility has been lost. And yet Danko Laboratories is saying, hey, we need to trust their expertise. They know what's going on. Well, of course Danko Laboratories are going to say that because Danko Laboratories are making a ton of money off of Mifepristone. So, of course, they're going to say that. On Wednesday night, a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit in New Orleans issued a mixed decision, staying the most sweeping aspects of a decision from Judge Matthew Kismarek that would have wholly overridden the Food and Drug Administration's approval of the pill after more than two decades. But the appeals court, in an unsigned order from a divided three-judge panel, temporarily let stand other aspects of that ruling, including by requiring in-person visits with doctors, rolling back the availability of the pills from the first 10 weeks of pregnancy to seven weeks, and barring dispensing them by mail. So all the Fifth Circuit said is we need to go back to the way the FDA used to see this drug, kind of pre-pandemic. Go back to seven weeks instead of 10 weeks. Go back to having in-person visits. Go back to you cannot send this in the mail. And of course, the abortion industry are up in arms about that. The panel's ruling was provisional, and the court put the appeal itself on a relatively fast track, scheduling arguments for May 17th. The case was brought by several doctors and medical groups, including the Alliance for Hippocratic Medicine, which was incorporated in August in Amarillo, Texas, where the case was filed. Judge Kismarek, a Trump appointee who is a longtime opponent of abortion, is the only federal judge in the Amarillo Division in the U.S. Court, District Court of the Northern District of Texas. Again, they're trying to paint him as anti-abortion, and of course they're trying to question his credibility because of who appointed him and where he stands on the issue of abortion. The appeals court majority wrote that the statute of limitations appeared to bar a challenge to the FDA's initial approval of the pill in 2000. 
But it said that later expansions of access to the pill were properly before the judge and that there were authentic safety concerns warranting suspension of regulations making it easier to obtain the pills. The majority added that the plaintiffs appear to have standing to sue because they might have to treat complications from the use of the pill. In the Biden administration's emergency application to the Supreme Court, Solicitor General Elizabeth Prologer, representing the FDA, wrote that the plaintiffs lack standing to challenge a drug they neither take nor prescribe and that they had provided no basis for second-guessing the agency's scientific judgment. Rather, she wrote, they relied on an implausible speculation. FDA's approval of the drug does not require them to do or refrain from doing anything, she wrote. Yet the Fifth Circuit held that the associations have standing because of some of their members might be asked to treat women who were prescribed mifepristone by other providers and who then suffer an exceedingly rare adverse event. In the emergency application by Danko Laboratories, the company's lawyer said the appeals court's ruling had created regulatory chaos. Leaving the Fifth Circuit ruling in place will uh, harm Danko, which will be unable to both conduct its business nationwide and comply with its legal obligations. The lack of emergency relief from this court will also harm women, the healthcare system, the pharmaceutical industry, state sovereignty, interest, and the separation of powers. And then listen to this. Of course, they got to throw this in there. The judge that made the ruling in Texas once worked for First Liberty Institute, which says it is the largest legal organization in the nation focused exclusively on defending religious freedom. Democrats voted against confirming him to the bench in 2019 because of his history. And we could go on and on and on, but, but I want you to understand, this is what we're up against, right? I mean, so, so they're going to do everything they can to paint a judge a certain way if that judge rules in a way that they disagree with. So this should come, to no, come to, uh, of no surprise to any of us. You know, they're going to say, well, he made this ruling because he's anti-abortion. They're not going to say he made this ruling because he's a constitutionalist, right? So if then the state of Washington judge comes out and rules in favor of Danko and rules in favor of the FDA, and what? They're celebrated because, you know, he, that judge was appointed by Barack Obama, and that judge, you know, sees things differently. He's just being subjective or objective. He, he doesn't have a, uh, you know, that judge doesn't have a, a, a fight in this. They're just doing their job. When in reality, we, we kind of all are bent to appreciate judges that rule in the way we think they should rule and dislike judges that rule in the way we think they shouldn't rule. That's what we do. But the, the problem is, whether it's the New York Times or the Washington Post or CNN or MSNBC or any of the cable news outlets that you watch or, or even local outlets that you watch, what happens is they question the credibility of judges that were appointed by conservative presidents. They celebrate judges that were appointed by liberal presidents because those particular judges line up with their way of thinking and with their narrative and with the agenda. And the agenda of the culture is abortion at all costs. And so when you go after the idol, when you set your sights on the golden calf, well, well people get up in arms about that. So when a judge comes out and rules in favor of a conservative group or a pro-life group or attorneys and a, a, attorneys general that, uh, across the country that are saying, hey, we don't think this drug is safe. We, we don't think the FDA went through the proper 
process to approve the use of this drug. <clears throat> and then you can even go further. And, and in one of those cases, they spoke of the Comstock law. Now, you may say, well, what is the Comstock law? The Comstock law was a, an act from, from 1873. So an act was put in place in 1873 and has been narrowed over the years. Its original intent was to prevent the mailing of an instrument, substance, drug, medicine, lewd materials, or thing that could cause abortion. This law was dormant after Roe because there was really no way to enable abortion through the mail, and abortion was the law of the land after 1973. This changed in 2021 when the FDA took it upon itself to loosen its requirements on mifepristone and with the ultimate overturning of Roe in 2022. Now they, the FDA, and abortion industry are encouraging and participating in mailing this abortion drug. By doing this, they are, by the opinions of the attorneys on our side, of course the pro-lifers, and by the ruling of the Texas judge, breaking the law. Now time will tell what will happen with that, but this is what happens when things change in a society. This is what happens when legislation change. This is what happens when court decisions go a certain way. You may have laws on the books that have been dormant for a while and things change because of actions made by certain entities and governmental organizations. We saw this even in the state of Michigan. What happened in the state of Michigan? Roe was overturned in the state of, across the country. Roe was overturned on June 24th, 2022. <clears throat> when it was overturned, there was a law in the state of Michigan that took effect back from way back, pre-1973. And that law said that you could not have an abortion in the state of Michigan. So what did the state of Michigan have to do? Because they're blue state and they want abortion, they had to pass a law. The governor had to sign to legislate and, and to supersede that previous law. So now they have abortion on the books. And in the same way, this Comstock law, which a lot of people are saying, well, how can you look at the Comstock law from 1873 and that was changed in 1930 to, uh, to, to remove contraception from its ruling? Well, it goes back into effect because some things have changed. And because the FDA in 2021 took it upon itself to make it easier to get the abortion pill. The FDA in 2021 said, you know what, you don't have to see a doctor in person anymore. The FDA in 2021 said, we can ship these things in the mail. And all these attorneys general and states and, and attorneys are simply saying, that's not okay. What, where did you come up with that decision? And a judge agreed with them. The Fifth Circuit agreed they needed to take their rules back to pre-2021. And then the Supreme Court has put a stay in the Supreme Court saying, we're going to take this up very soon. So by the time I talk to you next week, maybe I can give you an answer. And hopefully, Mifeprestone is not going to be used for abortion moving forward. We'll see what happens. I'll talk to you in a sec. So as we continue the conversation, look, I wanted to give you an update on the court decisions because I talked about it last week and some things have changed. And then next week, I'll give you another update because it appears as if the Supreme Court's going to rule on this or at least uh, take it up uh, maybe Thursday. We'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens there, and I'll update you as I know more. Uh, right now, I want to shift some thoughts. Uh, I want to I look at th – there's been some bills as of late that have been passed in our country around 
uh, in, in different states, in mainly blue states, that concern me greatly. And, and one of those being Senate Bill 5599 passed in, I believe it was the state of Washington. And, and the, the sad part is, so, so I'm going to give you some clarity. I want to give you some context. Senate Bill 5599 passed in the state of Washington. All Democrats voted yes. All Republicans voted no. Now, what does this bill do? So it, was, it wasn't bipartisan. It was uh, partisan in nature. Listen to what this bill does. Legislation to support youth seeking protected health care services in Washington passed the Senate on a 27 to 19 vote. Senate Bill 5599, sponsored by uh, a Democrat there in Washington, removes barriers to shelter for at-risk and vulnerable youth. Under current law, if a child who has run away from home goes to a licensed shelter, that shelter is required to notify the parents unless a compelling reason applies. The bill allows certified shelters to contact the Department of Children, Youth, Family Services in lieu of parents in certain additional instances, such as when a youth is seeking, to re- seeking reproductive health services or gender-affirming care. Listen to this quote. This bill is an important step in ensuring young people across the state have a roof over their heads during an already challenging period in their life. While we hope that every child has a supportive family that will provide them with acceptance and the care they need, it's crucial that we provide housing options to those in crisis. Access to gender-affirming care has been proven to lower rates of adverse mental health outcomes. Now, that's nonsense, but I'll get into that here in a second. Build self-esteem and improve the overall quality of life for transgender and gender-diverse youth. The National Library of Medicine states that sexual and reproductive health services address the needs of young people while preventing adverse mental health outcomes. The legislation would ensure that children who may not have supportive families at home do not end up on the street, but instead have shelter when seeking these protected health services. This bill is such an important step towards protecting our at-risk young youth in Washington, said the executive director of Gender Justice League. This is what they said. It takes immense courage and bravery for trans youth to come out to their family and ask for support. All young people in Washington state should have the right to be safe, true to themselves, and to live free of violence. This bill helps us ensure the safety and opportunity of some of the most vulnerable young people we work with. The bill now moves to the House for consideration. So this bill allows the state to legally take children away from their parents if they don't consent to their child's gender transition surgeries. All Democrats voted yes. All Republicans voted no. Are you paying attention yet? Are you paying attention? The state of Washington has said that that if a family, if a mom and dad are just a single mom or just a single dad, do not support the gender that their child deems one day to be, that that child can run away from home and that child will be protected by the state. 
Now, this bill doesn't say that that these parents are being neglectful. This bill doesn't say that the parents are being abusive. This bill doesn't say that the parents are, are mistreating this child or not feeding this child or not giving this child water or making this child sleep outside. All this bill says is if your little boy wakes up and says, I think I'm a girl, and you say, no, you're not, and that child runs away, the state will step in and protect that child from you. You see, on this show, we talk about life issues. We talk about identity issues. We talk about seeing the world through a biblical lens. When you view the world through a biblical lens, there are two genders, male, female. God created them, male and female. That's it. Now, I also understand that we live in a post-Genesis 3 world. Sin fractured everything. Which means gender is going to be broken, which means marriages are going to be broken, which means relationships are going to be broken, which means we're going to live in a sinful society, which means problems are going to happen, which means cancer is going to uh, ravage some people, it means things are going to occur. But the answer is not the state taking your child from you because you refuse to use a certain set of pronouns. The answer is not allowing the state to take the child from you because you refuse to fall in line with their anti-God, anti-gospel narrative and agenda. And this is just the beginning. We see it happening more and more. Recently, there was a person that spoke at a California school district meeting. This person is a man wearing a dress. This person said that they answered to all kinds of pronouns. And they were applauded at that school board meeting. Andrew T. Walker, a, a theologian and, and a professor, he said this, We can laugh this off as insane, and to be clear, it is insane. But unless people stand up against it lawfully by smart political mobilization, these lunatics are more than happy to rule the roost while conservatives just complain. You see, again, we talked about it on this show multiple times. We, we have lived for decades saying, I just want to be left alone. And I get it. I, I was with you. I, I want to be left alone. Let me live my life. Let me parent my children. Let me raise my children the way I see fit. Let me choose their education the way I see fit. Let me live my life. Let me have low taxes. Let me just be a part of my community. And what we're finding is now in certain parts of our country, the state is saying, we will take your child from you. If you don't affirm everything, they won't. This is the message that, that they're sending. Again, if, if a child runs away from home because they're being abused or tortured or uh, malnourished or being made to sleep outside or sleep in filthy conditions or if the home is infested with bugs or, or if they're, I mean, fill in the blank. If that is happening, the state does need to step in. Somebody needs to step in. But you see, the, the bill that I spoke of in the state of Washington is not focused on that. 
the bill in the state of Washington that every Democrat voted for and every Republican voted against says, again, if your little girl wakes up and looks at their mom and dad and says, you know what, I think I'm a boy and I want to answer to he and him pronouns. And you look at them and say, well, I'm sorry, honey, we need to talk about that. We don't believe that to be the case. Let's talk about it calmly. And that little girl runs away from home and tells the state, I ran away from home because mommy and daddy won't use he, him pronouns with me. Then the state, from this bill in the state of Washington, will protect that child from you. Because you won't affirm their pronouns. And the state is going to go further, believe me when I say this, and they're going to start them on hormone replacement therapy. The state will, will affirm their gender, whatever gender they choose. These things matter. We'll be back. As we continue the conversation today, I want to spend more time talking about identity and talking about what we're seeing around the country. And and we're being lied to. I mean, if if you've heard the phrase gaslighting, what that phrase is referring to is telling me something that just isn't true. And, 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 and making me think that things that I'm seeing with my own eyes right in front of me, you're trying to make me think that I'm not seeing those. We're using, we're trying to use logic in an illogical world, right? So when we look around us and go, man, things just seem crazy and things seem chaotic and I just do not understand some of the arguments that are being made. I do not understand some of the, some of the messages that are being put out there and, and We seem confused because we're going, hold on, logically right now and traditionally these things have always been known and these things have always been fact. We've always known what a woman is. We've always known what a man is. But all of a sudden, the last couple years, we can't define that anymore. And if you try to define it, you're a bigot. And if you try to define it, you're a sexist. And the reality is we're, we're being lied to. But you see, the, the, the problem from the culture perspective, the problem isn't what's happening in our culture. They would say we're just being progressive. We are progressing to our ultimate end. What, what we would say, what I would say, is we're not being progressive. We're actually going in the wrong direction. But what culture is saying is that we're not going in the wrong direction. The, these conservatives are just seeking to pounce on the issue of the day. Here's a piece of the New York Times that is just uh, insane, but, but I wanted to bring it to your attention. It says, when the Supreme Court declared a constitutional right to same-sex marriage nearly eight years ago, social conservatives were set adrift. The ruling stripped them of an issue they had used to galvanize rank-and-file supporters and big donors, and it left them searching for a cause that, like opposing gay marriage, would rally the base and raise the movement's profile on the national stage. Now think about that. Here's the interesting thing. Right before that court decision that, that redefined marriage. Now, again, culture would say that's progress. But we were told, we were told then, look, all, all this is in redefining marriage is we think you should be able to marry whoever you love. Men can marry men. Women can marry women. And that's all. We just want the ability to marry. That's it. Now, 
conservative Christians at that time said this is the beginning of a slippery slope. It isn't just marriage between man and man and woman and woman. No, it's going to be much more than that. It's going to be multiple men and women getting married. It's going to be, where do we end? It's going to be, uh, this is the beginning of men wanting to be women and women wanting to be men. This is going to be and take us down a path. Oh, no, it's not that. It's just, we just want men to be able to marry men and women to be able to marry women. But is that what it is today when you look around? This article says, what is stuck somewhat unexpectedly is the issue of transgender identity, particularly in young people. Today, the effort to restrict transgender rights has supplanted same-sex marriage as an animating issue for social conservatives at a pace that has stunned political leaders across the spectrum. It has reinvigorated a network of conservative groups, increased fundraising, and set the agenda in school boards and state legislatures. The campaign has been both organic and deliberate, and has even gained speed since Donald Trump and uh, an ally left the White House. Since then, at least 20 states, all controlled by Republicans, have enacted laws that reach well beyond the initial debates over access to bathrooms and into medical treatments, participation in sports, and policies on discussing gender in schools. About 1.3 million adults and 300,000 children in the U.S. identify as transgender. Think about that. These efforts have thrust them at a moment of increased visibility and vulnerability into the center of the nation's latest battle over cultural issues. You see, who's, it's not their fault, it's our fault. And how dare these conservatives, how dare these conservatives seek to want to protect our youth? Look at the data, folks. We talked about it on this show. Our young people right now are more depressed and more anxious than they've ever been. They're facing more bully, both cyber and in person, than they've ever faced. They're they're killing themselves more than ever. They are addicted to drugs more than ever. They're addicted to their phones more than ever. We, We have folks that are struggling around us, young people that are struggling around us in our culture because our culture doesn't see things the way they should see them. They don't see things in the proper view of a biblical worldview. They see things as do whatever makes you happy. So they're constantly chasing this this thread of happiness. Well, if I can just pull the right thread, I'm going to reach that happiness. But you're not. You're not. And so their answer to the depression, their answer to the anxiety is, let's just affirm whatever these young people want to believe about themselves. That is not the answer, folks. That is a damning answer. And how do I know this? I know this because of all the folks that are coming out detransitioning. That that now some of these young people are now adults and they're going, what in the world did y'all let me do to myself? I had top surgery and I had bottom surgery. My hormones are a wreck. What did you let me do to myself? Why didn't any adult step in to protect me? That is what they're saying. And what's our answer? Well, we just wanted you to be happy. We just wanted you to be happy, that's all. Their brains are not developed fully. I think for women it's 22 years old and for men it's 25 years old. And we're, we're talking about kids that haven't even gone through puberty yet. And we're wrecking their hormones, putting them on puberty blockers that, that they claim are safe, but we know they're not safe. We, we live in a silly, 
unserious society. I briefly touched on this last week, but, but here's, here's what, where we live. You, you can't vote till you're 18. You can't smoke cigarettes till you're 18, some places even older than that. 16-year-olds get their driver's license today. They, they can't drive after a certain time period. They, they can only have one person in the vehicle with them. We, we set rules and boundaries around young people. Why? Because they need rules and boundaries. I got my ear pierced when I was 15 years old. You know what? I had to have somebody sign for me. If you want a tattoo, you have to have somebody sign for you or you need to be 18 years old. If you want to go on a field trip, what happens? You, you got to get a parent, a guardian, to sign off on a permission slip because you can't make that decision on your own. You can't rent a car until you're 25. Many places won't let you rent a, a hotel room until you're over 18. Some of those even go into 21 to 25. You can't drink beer until you're 21. Why, why do we do these things? We do these things because young people need rules and boundaries. What does the culture step in to do? What does a lost society do? A lost society says, yeah, all that's fine. All that's, all that's fine and dandy. But if your four-year-old, who is a boy, tells you that, he, that, that he's a girl, you need, to, you need to take his word for it. You need to run with it. And if you don't run with it and they run to us, we're going to take them from you. You see, our, our lost society and culture looks around and says, yeah, all of those rules and boundaries are fine and dandy, but, but if, if a minor wants to go get an abortion, they don't need to talk to you, you the parent, because you're not going to support them anyway. They need to just be able to go and do what they want to do and what makes them happy. You see what we're doing here? You know, society and culture would say it doesn't matter what you identify as. If, if, you're, if your young lady is, is swimming on a sports team that's made for females and, and then all of a sudden a, a boy claims that he's a woman and he wants to tr- change in their locker room, you're a bigot if you get upset about that. It's a, that's your problem, not theirs. You see, we're living in an upside-down world. Now, some people would say Jesus is going to come in and, and take things Upside down. No, Jesus will come in and turn things right side up. But right now, we're living in an unserious, upside down world. And so, why does gender and identity matter? Well, for, for a society to continue and sustain, you need man and woman. You need man and woman, to reproduce. You don't get that any other way. So this isn't conservatives pouncing. This is me saying, I'm going to protect my little girls and my little boy. Unapologetically so. And I'm not going to listen to your nonsense. Rules and boundaries are there for a reason. But instead, what we have in some of these instances, in some of these states, and some of these schools, is we have folks that are, they're not saying, we'll, we'll let you decide what you want to do. They're brainwashing. They're indoctrinating.
And in some places, they're passing legislation that is harmful to the family makeup, that is harmful to our young men and young women, that is harmful to the fabric of our society. And it is insane. And, and there's going to be moments where you feel like you're living in an insane asylum. The answer is understanding what the Bible would say about gender and identity. The answer is understanding that we have been created by the God of the universe. The answer is understanding that we live in a post-Genesis 3 world where, yes, some things are going to be broken. There will be struggles in our life, but we don't just throw in the towel. We'll talk more when we come back. So as we finish up today, look, you know, some heavy topics. That's what we do. That's what we do on this show. But, but there's a lot going on in our culture, in our society. And if we allow it, if we allow it, it's going to take you to a, a dark place. It's going to cause us to, to want to disengage. It's going to cause us to, I mean, I can't say what it's going to cause you to do. At times it has me going, oh man, I do need that cabin in the woods. I, I need to get away from everything. But, but what we have to understand is our culture needs Jesus. And so when we talk about loving your neighbor, you know, sometimes people will say that, that love your, love your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The second is like it, love your neighbor. We, we quote that scripture as a way, certainly, I mean, it is the greatest commandment. And, and it's an important it's an important truth, but sometimes we pervert it. And so what we, what we tend to do is we define loving your neighbor as tolerating and accepting everything. And, and even in that, I've looked across the board. I've looked at even some messages at times by quote-unquote pastors. And some of the things that they're saying, I'm going, I don't understand why you need Jesus. Because what you're preaching is go do and be whatever you want to do and be. And so if, if there is no sin, if there is no sinful nature, if, there, if we can just go and do and be whatever we want to do and be, then why do you need salvation? Why do you need the forgiveness of sins if, if you can go and live the sins that you want to live without any ramifications, without any uh, consequences? So to truly love your neighbor, you have to be honest with them. To truly love your children, you have to be honest with them. To truly love your spouse, you have to be honest with them. We are living in a society and culture that refuses to be honest. We are living in a society and culture that says, do whatever makes you happy. That is the most damning mantra that this world has ever seen. It is straight from the pit of hell. Because doing what makes you happy has ended marriages. Doing what makes you happy leaves babies orphaned. Doing what makes you happy leaves babies aborted. Doing what makes you happy has you mutilate your own body. I mean, is that the direction we want to go? And so the answer is speaking truth, certainly in love. Remember, we talked about this on this show multiple times as well, that, that Christ was about truth 
and grace and compassion. Some of us are bent toward the truth. Some of us are bent more to grace and compassion, but we have to be both. What we also have to understand is if we believe in the Trinity, that the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament, and that Jesus didn't just pop up in Matthew. But if he's part of the Trinity, he's been there the entire time. So you can't divorce him from the God of the Old Testament. Yet we try to do that. You have people say, oh, Jesus was a hippie, long-haired hippie that, you know, was just about love and do what you want to do. And, and no, that, that's not true. And so as we look around, what we need now is truth. What we need now is, is grace and compassion. It's calling people to repentance. Protecting your children. Standing up at the school board meetings. For some of us listening to this, you live in a state that is, again, not on a slippery slope, but it jumped off the cliff and they have the pedal pushed to the floorboard. And maybe you need to move away from that state. When I see things, I'm not, I'm not telling you that's what you need to do. I'm saying you need to pray about it. But when I see bills be passed like that Senate bill in the state of Washington, that state is on the brink. And so just be, just understand that. Have discernment in what that means for you, what that means for your family. But when we talk about loving our neighbor, if you truly love, you're going to be honest. If you truly love, you are going to put boundaries and guardrails and rules in place for your children. I love my kids with everything that I have. That's why there's discipline. That's why there's, hey, don't go play in the road. That's why we have boundaries and rules, because I love them. It's not, hey, what do you feel like today? Who you want to be today? Be, be whatever you want to be. No, no, that's not love. That's lies. And folks, we have the answer in the gospel. So let's get after it. We'll talk to you next week.